today we're going to be starting a brand new series called About Us. And before we dive in, I just want to say hi to the kids. If you are 12 or under, could you raise your hand? Great to have you with us. We normally, as most of you know, we normally have kids' church for kids, but in June, July, you're going to be in here with us. So I thought I'd give you a little a couple tips on how you could follow along today. One of the ways you can follow along is with this green insert that we have almost every week. We have an insert like this. And it was interesting. Um, I was doing some reading this week, and uh, I was reading just yesterday a section in this book where the book was talking about learning and, and retention and how we learn things. And one of the things they said, which is really interesting, is if we take notes the way notes used to be taken, where you physically take your hand and you, you make the letters on a piece of paper... They said, not only are you more likely to learn, but you're more likely to remember. And what they said specifically about writing things down, they said, you're more likely to remember it, even if you don't, never look at it again. So if you ever wonder, why do we put these in, the, in, in, your, um, in your bulletins each week? That's one of the reasons. So you can follow along, but also so that you can learn. So kids, that's one of the ways you can follow along today. When we get to the end of this, we're going to be pretty much done. But I thought it'd be also fun today to have an alternative outline with us. And that's this stuff here on the cart. We have some other things here that are going to serve as our outline as well. That's going to mirror the, the insert. So we have a Bible here, probably not surprising on that one. We also have an, a highlighter. We've got this piece of wire with insulation on it. And we have a bowl of M&Ms and there's no brown M&Ms in here. That's important. We'll talk about that later. And then we also have this bucket of ring pops. When we get to the ring pops, we're done. All right, so there's another outline that you can follow along with. All right, so I mentioned we were going to be talking today about this brand new series called About Us. And this series actually came from the congregation. This came from you guys. Uh, we've had so many questions over the years about why is it that you do both infant baptism and dedication? And so we thought, you know what? We get so many questions about that. Let's dedicate a couple Sundays where one Sunday we talk about infant dedication and believer baptism. Let's take another one where we talk about um, infant baptism and confirmation. And let's, let's do that. And then the other thing that does is since we tape these, it's going to be, um, we'll have video then where we can tell people, hey, if you've got questions, take a look at this video and then let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. So that was one of the things. And then another one, this last year in particular, we had so many questions about how we do missional partnerships. So we said, let's take that on. Let's talk about why we do what we do when it comes to missions and, and missions giving and all those kind of things. So we were talking about this series. I was talking with Jason, trying to frame this thing out. And Jason said, he said, you know, there's one thing that ties all this together, all of these things. And it's the first object here on our table. It's the Bible. So let's go to the first set of blanks on our green outline. And let's talk about this. Here's the thing that ties together not only baptism, not only dedication, not only how we look at missions. How it, This is affects everything we do at this church. Everything we do. And for most of us, everything we try to do in our lives. And here it is. The Bible is our standard for belief and conduct. The Bible is our standard, capital S, for belief and conduct. There's a lot of things that are true about our church. If we were to do an About Us series that had all of it in there, um, there's a lot of things we could say. But this is at the core of who we are, that the Bible is our standard for belief and conduct. It's one of the things that, that drew me to the denomination that we're part of. I'll say a little bit more on that in a bit. And it's also one of the things that drew so many of you. So many of you were searching for a place where the Bible was looked at in this way. Now, in our other outline, I have a highlighter, and I want to talk about that now as we talk about the Bible here a little bit. This highlighter. I go through a lot of highlighters. 
I should buy stock in whatever company this is, Sharpie or whatever. I drain highlighters because I'm always reading nonfiction and, and I'm always trying to find how do I can be a better husband or father or pastor or coach. And so I'm always trying to learn, especially when you have to take on the maroon team. They are tough, tough, man, tough. Maroon team is tough. So I'm trying to always trying to learn and grow. So I'm always highlighting stuff, always highlighting stuff. What I want to say about highlighters in the Bible is be really careful about that. And, and if, you're, if you're highlighting the Bible to, so that you can find like, okay, I want to remember this or I want to be able to find it, that's great. That's great. The danger of taking a highlighter to the Bible is to emphasize certain things and not others. And not others. That, that's, that's the danger. There's a, a scripture that I have us look at here today. It's one that should be familiar to many of us. But I want us to take a look here at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And, I'm gonna, and this hopefully will shed some light into why I say just be careful. There's nothing wrong with taking a highlighter of the Bible. Just be careful that you're not only highlighting certain things and leaving other things out. And this comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. I want to let you know, too, we've got a stack of Bibles at that table over there with the um, water bottles, and they're for you. One of the other things that this, um, the, the book I'm reading right now said is that they said there's something about physically having a book in front of you that helps with learning as well. And one of them, they said, is just how the, even the weight changes as you flip through. There's just some fascinating things about having a, a hardcover Bible. So if you don't have one of those with you or a, or a real Bible, um, okay, there they are. Right, here we go. Let's dive in. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the person of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What part of the Bible is breathed out by God and is profitable for all those things? What part? All. All of it. All of it. Again, it's okay to use a highlighter if you want to help find a verse more quickly. What we don't want to do is to get into the habit of saying, okay, this part matters. This part doesn't matter as much. The Bible's a very, very, very special book. And I came across this quote as I was doing my research this week. It said this, To the question of whether scripture itself claims any special authority, the twofold answer is that the Old Testament and New Testament everywhere imply this. And they sometimes give it direct and open expression. The prophets maintain that they spoke not their own words, but the words that God gave them. Christ spoke with authority because of his awareness that he spoke not merely as a teacher, but as the eternal son. The apostles spoke boldly because they had received the spirit and thus believed they spoke God's word whether quoting the Old Testament, appealing to Christ's teaching, or presenting the gospel as the Spirit directed them. This is a special book. Special book. And those who wrote these things down understood that to be true. And I would encourage you to write this as well in your, in your green outline. Emmanuel's understanding that all Scripture is God-breathed has been shaped. It's been shaped by the teachings of Christian heavyweights like Jesus and Peter and Paul. I could have listed endless others, but I name dropped these three on purpose. One, because time is limited and we can't name drop everybody who believe this. But number two, the reason we name drop these is these are three of the most significant figures in the history of the Christian church. And they all believe this. They all believe that all scripture is God breathed. If you're going to identify as a Christian, these are three people that you want to align your beliefs and your conduct with, with Jesus and Peter, and Paul. Let's start with Jesus. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Everything that he did was aligned with the scriptures. 
So much so that the things he said and the things he did were included in Scripture. Here's another quote I came across this week from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Volume 4. In the New Testament, Jesus himself gives abundant testimony to the written form of God's word. He answered the tempter with a threefold, it is written. He saw in his ministry a fulfillment of the passage from Isaiah that he read at Nazareth. He predicted his death and resurrection on the basis of what was written. He showed his disciples how everything had to be fulfilled that was written about him in the law, the prophets and the Psalms. Now, when Jesus refers to scripture, he's referring to what we call the Old Testament. That was the Bible of his day. And that's so important to remember. We, we, we come back to that time and time again here at this church because there's so many folks in our culture that are trying to minimize and even mock the Old Testament. Jesus didn't minimize it or mock it. He helped us interpret it. He came to fulfill it, but he didn't minimize it or mock it. There are sections of the Old Testament that are really, really hard to understand. And that's why a lot of people minimize it and mock it. I was just reading this week in Deuteronomy 20, 21, 22, 23. And I tell you, if it were me trying to give instructions to God's people during that time, they would have looked really different. We looked really different. There are some things that are really hard to understand why God said those specific things to those specific people at that time. But I can't ignore those things because they don't make me comfortable. I can't ignore them because all scripture, all scripture is God breathed. All right, so I name dropped Jesus. That's how he felt about scripture. I name dropped Peter earlier too. I included Peter as one of my three because he's the one that Jesus handed the keys to when he went to go back with the father. Here's something that Peter wrote in a letter that we call 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16 says this. Our beloved brother Paul, so Peter's writing about Paul. Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. There are some things in them, in Paul's letters, that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do what? The other scriptures. You see what just happened there? The scriptures of Peter's time were the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. He's saying, Paul's letters, these are scripture too. These aren't just letters. There's more to it than that. This also is scripture. And again, one of the things that we come back to several times fairly often here at this church is we, there's a whole lot of folks that want to minimize Paul because if he, sa- he says a whole lot of things that are hard to understand. Did Peter minimize Paul? No, he called what he wrote scripture. All right, let's talk a little bit about Paul. He's the third name I dropped. Paul is the greatest evangelist that, of Jesus, for Jesus, the world had ever seen. And as I did my research this week, one of my sources pointed me to a section of a letter that Paul wrote to a young man he was discipling in the faith. I want to encourage you to take a look at this. If you have your Bible, uh, turn to 1 Timothy 5.18. I've seen this verse a million times, but I never noticed this before. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18 says this. Paul writes, for the what? For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Did Paul understand these things to be scripture? Here's what's interesting about this. We can go to the next slide. One of the quotes that Paul had, he actually has two quotes from two different sections of the Bible he's quoting here in this one verse. 
He quotes from Deuteronomy 25.4, where he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. He also quotes from what we now call the book of Luke, where it says, the laborer deserves his wages. That's a direct quote from Jesus. Where do we find the book of Deuteronomy, Old Testament or New? Old. Where do we find the book of Luke in what we call the New? And here's something that's extra interesting, at least to me. Paul and Luke were friends. Think of the impact of that for a minute. If you had something that one of your friends wrote, are you going to be quick to say, oh, that is the inspired word of God? It's scripture, right? You're probably more likely to say the opposite, right? But there was something about this document that Luke had constructed that we now call the book of Luke, where, where, where Paul says, this is not just another writing. This is scripture. Paul recognized right away that this particular document that his friend Luke wrote was more than just an accurate biography about Jesus. There are specific documents that contain history, poetry, prophecy, and narrative that Jesus and Peter and Paul all believed were more than simply history or poetry or prophecy or narrative. Now, there were contemporaries that were living at their time that believed that the gods inspired different forms of art. Here's a quote that speaks to that from the IVP, Bible Background Commentary. The belief in the inspiration of prophecy and poetry and music was widespread in the Mediterranean antiquity. But Paul took this to another layer, whole nother level. He did more than just say, hey, God was in this somehow. It appears as though Paul made up a whole new word to describe scripture. It appears as though he made up, made up a word, coined a phrase, if you will. And the word he made up is theopneustos. Can you try saying that? Because I practice all week. Theopneustos. Just try it. Theopneustos. It reminds you of that movie Elf. Anyone seen the movie Elf? Where he's like, Francisco, Francisco. He would love this word. Theopneustos. Theopneustos. All right. Here's where it fits in context. It was in one of the verses we read earlier. Here's where theopneustos was used. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is... Theopneustos. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the person of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This word, the reason they think that he came up with this word, is you can't find it anywhere else in all of written history before that time. Before 2 Timothy was written, you can't find this word. And it appears what Paul did is he took one word that means God, he took another word that means breathed out, and he mashed them together to create this one-of-a-kind word to talk about this one-of-a-kind literature that was breathed out by God. N.T. Wright, I love so much of the stuff that he does. And he wrote this about Scripture, how Scripture is more than just a document that's got some truth to it, more than just, I think God was kind of working in and through them. This is one-of-a-kind. This is God-breathed stuff. N.T. Wright writes this, the Spirit, Speaking through scripture can make us wise, can help us think in new patterns, see things we hadn't seen before, understand ourselves and other people and God and the world, and ultimately find ourselves rescued, saved from the downward pull of sin and death and transformed by God's forgiving grace so that we can become part of a new creation. If we let scripture have its way in us, all this is within reach. 
Because, of course, Scripture not only unveils the living God that we know in Jesus Christ, but through our reading and pondering, it works this knowledge of God deep into our consciousness and even subconsciousness by story, poetry, symbol, history, theology, and exhortation. Scripture not only gives us this true information about how our lives can be transformed, I love this last phrase, it will itself be part of that process. That's why Paul reminds us, he says, all Scripture is like that. All Scripture is theopneustos. And then he gives us this warning just a few verses later. Here's the warning. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they're going to turn away from listening to the truth. They're going to wander off into myths. That wasn't just a clear and present danger then, was it? a clear and present danger. Now, there's a place to write this in your green outline. Sound bites might sound right, even when they're wrong or incomplete. Isn't that true? We can, we can hear things and it sounds right. And there might even be a little Bible reference with it. But just because it sounds right, that might not be the right interpretation. Or it might be incomplete. The classic example, some of you are going to be able to finish this one for me. The classic example that I give all the time is imagine a way to take Bible out of context. Imagine you're a high school student. You're saying, okay, God, I want to know what is your plan for my life? What is your will for my life? I've got your word here. Give me wisdom from your word. What is your plan for my life? They take their eyes and they close them and they, they take their finger and they open the Bible and they point and they come to Amos 4, 4, which says what? Go to Bethel and sin. And they're like, Bethel University, go to Bethel and sin. I'm loving this. This is God's will for my life. You can do that, can't you? You can take things out of context and not understand what is going on there. It's so easy to do that. And something could sound right. It could be something that you want to hear, but it might be incomplete or it might not be a, a, a good um, interpretation. And that's one of the things that can happen if we misuse the highlighter or if someone else misuses the highlighter. It's one of the reasons we all the time say fact check us, fact check us, fact check us. We try the best we can to put the Bible references there for you. So you can go and say, what does it say around it? What does it say in context? And Emmanuel, we work really, really hard. It's a fallen world. So we, we miss the mark, right? But, but we do our best, our best to try to, to, to not take things out of context but to say what the scriptures say. All right, well, we're going to quickly, with the time we have left here, we're going to quickly give you a quick preview of, of what's ahead really fast. There's a place to write this in your notes about the next couple of weeks that are ahead of us. In this teaching series, we're going to apply the where's it written principle to outreach and baptism, answering questions like, why don't we designate a, quote, tithe of the tithe for, quote, missions? Why do we celebrate both infant and believer baptisms here? And how can we use this principle to actually unite us as a congregation. One of the surprising things is if you apply the where is it written, going to the word together, it can actually unite you rather than divide you. One of the things that, that drew me to this denomination we're part of is, is the founders used to ask each other the question, where is it written? That's what they would do when they had questions about God or when they disagreed about God. They said, let's go to the word together. You bring what, the verses that, that you find. I'll bring the verses that I find. Let's, let's discuss them. Let's pray. Let's, let's study them together. And again, that's what we try to do. 
And that's what we try to do in all things, including missional partnerships. That brings us to this insulated wire. uh, Next week, we're going to talk about live wire partnerships. Live wire partnerships, removing the insulation, and why that's so important if we're going to be true to the Bible. In your bulletins, um, most weeks, if you turn them open to the back page where it says serve and reach out, um, this is how we understand outreach here. At least it's a summary of it, where it says reaching out in Jesus' name. At Emmanuel, we don't simply outsource our outreach. We believe every Christ follower is called to reach out to those who are lost and hurting. So we put hands and feet to our verbal witness by feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, providing school supplies for families in need, planning churches, investing in development initiatives, assisting with holistic care for the children, and more. We call these live wire partnerships where we're getting involved and connected more than just um, sending only sending money. We send a lot of money, but that's not the only thing that we do. Our goal is to strip the insulation away, and that'll make more sense as we talk about this next, next week. Well, this is a very different approach, the one we're going to describe than the one I grew up with, because the churches where I grew up with, they said what you're supposed to do biblically is to, quote, give a tithe of the tithe to, quote, missions. So one of the things we're going to do um, next week is we're going to look at all the places where tithe of a tithe is used, and it won't take long, because there's only two that I could find. If you can find more, let me know, because we want to be true to the scripture, but we want to explain the context of that. And then we're going to talk about missions and what that means in the, in the biblical sense. So I'm really excited to dive in next week. All right, so that's next week. In two weeks, that's where we're going to transition into baptism, what the Bible does and doesn't say about baptism. And one of the reasons we need to do this is I, I hear so many people talk about how, well, baptism isn't really a big deal. What? If you're going to be true to the Bible, baptism's a big deal. Let me just give you a couple little teasers here. Just the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, what's happening there is news about Jesus, what he said and did was spreading. And people were converting to Christianity. And baptism is referenced in at least 10 of these conversions that are referenced in the book of Acts. Here's a list. We don't have time to go through all these, but look at this. Pentecost Day, there were 3,000 people were received the word, but they were then baptized. And there's baptisms going on in the Samaritan city. Philip is baptizing this guy from the Ethiopian court. Let's go to the next one. We got another guy. When, when, when Paul himself, who used to be known as Saul, was, was converted, he, um, he was baptized. This guy named Cornelius and his whole relatives, his close friends were baptized. Believing the message declared by Paul, Lydia, her whole house was baptized. Uh, the, the Philippian jailkeeper and his family were baptized. In Corinth, there's this guy Crispus, a ruler of the synagogue. He and his whole household were, were baptized. Now, number nine is fascinating. This is one we're going to have to camp on um, later in the series. Paul found some disciples in Ephesus who had been baptized by John's baptism. But when they realized they hadn't been baptized into the name of Jesus, they rebaptized them. That's interesting. All right, 10. Then, then Paul mentioned, okay, I did do some extra baptisms, and he mentions a couple of those. All right, so that's just from the book of Acts. On the back of your notes, we have this little um, section that we include when we have a dedication or a baptism so that people can understand a little bit more about it. Look at some of the links that are made in the Bible to baptism. As you read through the Bible, you're going to discover that water baptism is connected to God's covenant promises, inward cleansing and washing away of sin, union with Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit, becoming part of the church. Now, is baptism a magic ritual that automatically guarantees these things? No. But the links to all these things are there. Is baptism a big deal in the Bible? 
Amen. But here's the thing. As much as the Bible says about baptism, there's some things that the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say explicitly how old you should be. And it doesn't say how much water you should use. It doesn't. Read through the whole thing. There's some implications. And so here's what we try to do as, as a church. If we're going to be true to the Bible, we try to anchor deep where the Bible is crystal clear. And where it's not, we say, let's talk about this. And let's not divide over it. And that brings me to the bowl of M&Ms on our outline, where there are no brown M&Ms. Let me tell you why not. I got this from the great theologian David Lee Roth. Here's a picture of him. In his glory days, big hair band back in the 80s, man. This guy could rock it. It's when they see him jump and all this. All right, so back in the day, these guys would go on tour. They'd take their show on the road and they'd pack out these huge stadiums. And so they'd bring all this equipment and all this tech with them. And so they would have this book about this thick of all the stuff that needed to happen for, the, for Van Halen to pull off their concert. Now that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of details. And everything on that list needed to happen. So what did David Lee Roth do? In the middle of that book, he included this little line that said, backstage, there will be a bowl of M&M's. In that bowl of M's, M&M's, there will be no brown M&M's. And people read that and they're like, you diva. Who do you think you are that, oh, you can't have any brown M&M's. But you know what he was doing? It was brilliant. He said, I can't check everything every week. We can't check everything every week. We need to know if these people actually read this detail, this, this manual. The way we're going to find out is I'm going to go backstage. I'm going to look at my bowl of M&M's. And if there's any brown M&M's in there, we have to check everything. Because these people aren't paying attention to detail. Well, about 12 years ago, about 12 years ago, I knew I was going to have to leave where I was at. And so I started looking at denominations and churches. And I'm like, where do you even start? Baptism was my brown M&M. Because the way that a church or denomination approaches baptism is going to say a whole lot about how they approach other controversial topics. End times, Holy Spirit, all these different things, men and women in leadership, all these types of things. And what I was looking for is somebody that would try to say, okay, where the Bible is clear, that baptism is a really big deal, that you should bring your kids to Jesus and let them bless them, that at some point in your life, you should make a personal profession of faith with your lips. Those are the things we're going to agree on. How much water? Exact age? We don't want to divide over that. Brown M&M, baptism. What we're shooting for here as a church is this. There's a place to write this in your notes. The word of God instructs us to pursue unity, but to pursue unity what? In Christ. There's nothing in the Bible that says, oh, hey, just you should agree about everything or, or, or you know, it doesn't matter what you believe. No, we have to pursue unity. The Bible's clear about that, but it's unity in Christ. Here's how we worded it in the about us section, actually on our website. We said this, the Bible warns against two extremes, unnecessary arguments and divisions reflecting a failure to maintain unity and unholy compromise and concessions, which would reflect a failure to abide in Christ. We purposely seek to avoid both of those extremes. God's word is profound. It is rich. It is textured. It's nuanced. 
We chose not to divide over beliefs and practices where a careful study of scripture allows for a variety of interpretations. How old you were when you're baptized or the amount of water used will not keep you from becoming a member. Neither will your beliefs regarding who receives the gifts of tongues, the precise nature of the elements during the Lord's Supper, the exact circumstances surrounding Christ's return, or the relationship between election and choice. At the same time, this is so important, the same time, freedom in Christ is a gift that comes with what? Boundaries. It's not anything goes. It's where is it written. The Bible stresses the importance of sound doctrine and God-honoring behavior in no uncertain terms. As ambassadors for Christ, we have a responsibility to hold our members accountable to the Holy Scriptures. One of the things that I love about our Explore membership class is how so many couples at different times will say something like this. This is a place we can find common ground. I grew up Catholic. I grew up Baptist. I grew up Methodist. I grew up Reformed. I grew up Assemblies. I still hold to these different truths. This is a place where we could find common ground. And that's the next set of blanks in your, in your notes. Emmanuel is a Christian community where people from different backgrounds find common ground as we seek unity in Christ. Let's agree on the things that are clear. Let's discuss the things that don't seem that way. Well, if you've attended one of our Explore membership classes in the last couple of years, you've heard me um, comment on an email that we received some, some time ago. And please hear my spirit in, in reading this email. It's not to, to mock this individual at all. It's just to point out how a lot of people approach um, the understandings of God. And, and, and that's very different than the way you do it. Well, he, he sent this email. These are all the email addresses uh, that he sent it to. So he sent out this mass email looking for a church home. And he said this, he said, greetings. I'm currently searching for a church home. Before attending, I'm wondering if you'd be so kind as to answer several simple questions that are very important to me. Okay, time out right there. Without even getting to know people. Without even getting to know us. Here's his questions. His simple questions are as follows. Number one, what denomination are you affiliated with or most closely affiliated with? That is a simple question. Boom. Number two, on the doctrines of grace... Would you say your church is Arminian or Calvinistic? Well, what do you do with that? What do you mean by Arminian? What do you mean about Calvinistic? And there's people here that are on the continuums of all of those things. So I don't even know how you answer that. Number two, in regards to eschatology, is your church dispensationalist or covenantal? Define your terms. What do you mean? Where on the spectrum do you want us? And then also on the topic... Of eschatology, is your church post-tribulationalist or pre-tribulationalist? Well, we believe Jesus is coming back, you know. <laughs> we all agree there. Can we agree? And then number five, what version of the Bible do you preach from? And then he says this towards the end. He says, please answer these five questions, even if brief, briefly, as they are, quote, vitally important to me. Vitally. Wow. Now, again, I appreciate this brother's passion. He wants to have, he wants, I, I would imagine he really wants to be solid in what he believes. He wants to have sound doctrine. There's no doubt in my mind that he studied the scriptures to use words like that, you know. But here's the thing. At the close of his email, at the close of his email, he references a group called the Bereans. And the Bereans were these people who were singled out by Paul. He said, I, I love you guys because when I came and spoke to you, you went to the word and you took what I said up and against the word. That's commendable. But my challenge to this brother would say, brother, why didn't you look at the rest of what Paul said about unity in Christ, about avoiding foolish arguments and controversies? 
You know, I, I believe a guy like this would, would benefit tremendously from a church where he could sit down with others who disagreed with him and he could share his passionate views and they could learn something and they could share their views and maybe he could learn something as well. It wasn't lost on me that this guy's name was Joshua. Joshua is the Hebrew form of what name? Jesus. Jesus. And the name Jesus means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And I look back at all of his questions and I think of question number one, what denomination, you know, are you guys? Every denomination that I've been a part of or that I've worked with, and I've worked with a lot of them, they all have Jesus followers in them. They all do. You can find brothers and sisters in Christ in every one of those denominations. When it comes to Armenian and Armenian and Calvinist, they both, at, at the far extremes, they both point you to Jesus, to the cross and the empty tomb. When it comes to his third and fourth questions about eschatology, that's the study of, of the end, the end things, the end times. Who do we believe is coming back? Jesus. We believe he's the one's coming back. And regardless of which Bible translation you pick up, you're going to find the same storyline. The storyline of a God who so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's why we keep pulling people back as best we can to unity in Christ. And that's why we're going to close with a Jesus song. At this time, I'd invite the worship band to come on up. And as they're coming up, we have one last question on the green outline. And here it is. We, it's actually an invitation. We invite you to experience the Bible with us. The Bible. We invite you to experience the Bible with us. To not just look at this as a document that was old. This document that is still alive and living. On the back of your notes, we've got a whole bunch of resources that we'd encourage you to consider. We have a bunch of them on this table. Resources for different ages. We're going to be working harder and harder and harder as time goes on. To helping our young people really get into the scriptures. And, 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 and to dig in deep. And we want to encourage you to be in discussions and groups. Because there's always things that all of us can be learning. Let's experience this living word together. Well, that- Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.